our new bestie has changed how we track our investments. Why have over 400,000 investors chosen ShareSite? It's simple. This online investment dashboard for your investment portfolio supports over 500,000 stocks, ETFs, and funds, plus integrated with more than 200 platforms, ensures your entire investment portfolio is organized and accessible in one place. Move beyond the limited insights from brokerage statements. ShareSite offers a comprehensive view of your financial performance, including analyzed reports, dividend gains, and the impact of currency fluctuations, all through intuitive graphs and visualizations. But here's the best part. For the investee besties out there, ShareSite is offering a special deal. Save four months when you purchase an annual premium plan. It's time to dive deep into performance metrics, streamline tax reporting, and share your portfolio with ease. Join the link in the episode description to sign up to ShareSite now and transform your investment experience. Hello and welcome to Girls That Invest, the platform that empowers millennials through financial literacy. You're joined today by your hosts, Sim and Sonia, two millennial investors who are extremely passionate about all things investing and personal finance. Hey Sim, how's it going? Hey Sonia, it's going well. How are you? I'm going great. I've received an influx of photos of your new house renovations. Tell me about that. Oh my god. I really have been sending you updates every day, haven't I? It's like I love the dishwasher it. goes in. I'm like, Sonia, look at this. Look at this dishwasher. No, my favorite thing is you time-lapsing you filling up holes in your kitchen. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, did you like it? It looks so much better online than it did in real life. So is the kitchen fully done now? There's nothing to go in the kitchen anymore? I just need to tile it up. So you know how like you get, you get a backsplash? between the like kitchen bench and the wall so water doesn't go onto the oh, yeah. wall itself so I'm just gonna okay. tile it I'm gonna probably do subway tiles I don't know if you've seen what those look like just those like white ones that look like brick yeah definitely know what you're talking about I have watched HGTV in my time as well <laughs> nothing's new with me busy as always we've started this step challenge at work so I've been frantically trying to get more steps and I was really motivated for like the first two days and then I collapsed. <laughs> I was like, who do I think I am walking up and down my living room trying to get steps? Who am I trying to impress? And then I was just so tired. But you know what? It starts again on Monday. I can do it. I just need constant motivation. If you don't mind waking up at 6 a.m. every morning just to send me a motivational meme sim, that would be great. Absolutely. I mean, I'm trying to wake up early, so win-win. <laughs> Anyways, so today's episode is super exciting. We're talking everything Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki. Cult classic. I feel like everyone that's even a little bit interested into personal finance knows about the book. I feel like every person that you go to that talks about their favorite money books or good books to give you an introduction to personal finance this book comes up so took us a while to talk about it but I'm glad that the day is finally here you know who introduced me to this book your brother which is also funny because he also introduced you to it 
So shout out to Sonia's brother right now for making this happen. Shout out to Ari. Thank you for giving me the book and talking about it when I was 18. Appreciate you. What's the bit he's not going to listen to this, eh? We're going to hear a thing. Do you want to talk a little bit about Robbie? No, I don't know him well enough to call him Robbie. We just thought rather than, you know, having to read the entire book yourself, if you haven't done, or if you have, maybe getting a bit of a refresher, it's a lot easier to listen to two pretty voices. Would you say, Sonia? I'd say so. So just to sort of explain a little bit about how the book works. So it's called Rich Dad, Poor Dad, because in the book, there is a still not proven yet rich dad. Like It's meant to be based on real life. We've never actually found out who he is or if he even exists. But the rich dad is his, um, the author's friend's dad. And he's kind of the guy that never went to university, never did the traditional, I'm going to go to college and then I'm going to get a good job and then I'm going to earn money. He kind of learned on his own, started businesses and just was very financially literate and not scared of like getting debt to make more money and investing and being a bit more risky. And then his poor dad, who is by no means actually poor, but just kind of, I guess, in the normal realm of like a middle-class family, he's like a very well-educated dad. He has a PhD, he works for the government, and he kind of works his way up the corporate ladder. And it's just really interesting how he compares his two dads, so his dad and his friend's dad, and kind of goes through this book explaining what the differences are and how those different views or thoughts lead them into different directions. Yeah, I think it's super interesting that he's speaking from like before Rich Dad was rich and he's got these two comparisons. When I first read the book, I actually felt like I was a kid learning with him as well. Did you feel that way? Yeah, it's got a very easy well it is a very easy read and you definitely do feel like you're growing up and seeing how different choices and different thoughts can sometimes lead to different lives absolutely so do you want to take it away with the first theme or I guess first lesson that you got yeah absolutely so the biggest lesson that I have gotten from rich dad poor dad would probably be the fact or the statement that the poor and the middle class work for money, the rich have money working for them. Now, I just want to preface this and say that this doesn't necessarily mean that because he said it, it's correct or that every person who's working for money is poor or or they're wrong. It's very circumstantial, but it's a very important theme to understand and to know and to use it within your own context. The idea behind it is that people become wealthy not just from working, because we kind of grow up with this idea that you start to work, right? You get a job and you start to earn money. And if you get a better job or if you get a promotion, you get more money. I mean, it makes sense, right? Like it's what we grow up thinking. However, what this theme in the book tries to challenge is that, well, actually, your job can only do so much for you. You can only trade so much of your time for money. And so what I really like about this idea is that you have to to distinguish yourself between just being, you know, your average self with the normal salary and someone who's actually able to live off their income. You need to start 
buying income producing assets and have your money work for you. That honestly was life-changing for me because you don't really hear people talk about how they make money. You kind of see people in certain jobs and in certain industries that are really wealthy and you kind of just assume, oh, you know, they're a doctor or they're a lawyer, therefore they have these nice houses, these nice cars. But as Sonia's once mentioned in a previous episode, like millionaires have at least a minimum of five to, to seven income streams. And so that is also mm. a huge contributing factor. It's not just your job. Absolutely. I think the whole more than one income stream and making your money work for you has definitely become more popularized with, I guess, social media and more finance social media accounts. It feels like more of a common piece of advice now compared to when I first read the book. So I definitely agree with that. One thing that Robert said that really stuck with me is how you can have people that are very wealthy. They have a nice house, a nice car, but their income increases and their outgoings increase just as well. So you get the pay rise, you get the nice holidays, you get the pay rise, you get you move from a nice house to a nicer house, from a nice suburb to a nicer suburb, from a good public school to, mm. to putting kids in private school. And so the level of debt continues to rise with the income. And Robert goes on to, I'm calling him Robert like I know him personally. The author goes on <laughs> to explain <laughs> that. Robbie. He goes on to explain that you can have all this wealth, but if you have just as many outgoings, you end up in debt. And that's not actually solving your financial problem. A lot of people, including myself, think things like, if I just had more money, I would have this problem solved, or I'd be richer, I could work less, I could spend more time on holiday. But if everything increases by the same amount, you're still... Even if you look rich, you're still working for money and it's only going to change when you start putting your money into things that work for you. So one of the overarching themes for me, or I guess one of the biggest lessons that I took from the book is actually just getting started. One of the quotes that stuck with me was, there is gold everywhere, but most people are not trained to see it, which in part he's talking to the fact that in our formal education, when we go through schooling, no one's really teaching you how to make money apart from, I guess, the societal norm of working from a young age, working hard, working for the same employer, climbing up the corporate ladder and just keeping to that one stream of income, which is what I guess poor dad is also trying to teach him because that's how he understands the world around him, which to be fair, what else are you supposed to think when that's all anyone like talks about and that's all that he knows for how to make money. So in terms of getting started, I want to call him Mr. Kiyosaki, <laughs> but the author, the author of the book. <laughs> so um, the author, if you will, kind of goes into how you can develop your own learning and taking the appropriate steps to discover said gold. And one of them is understanding the power of choice and the power of how you spend your time and choosing what you do on a day-to-day -day basis, choosing what you're spending your money on on a day-to-day -day basis, but also choosing your friends. So are they inspiring you? Are they helping you become more empowered with your money? Are they being too careful 
or are they frightened and they're trying to put that fear in you? That's also a part of like understanding your choice. Something else that he talks about in terms of getting started is paying yourself first, which goes hand in hand with mastering the power of self-discipline. At this point, that advice of paying yourself first, for me, it's like a respect thing. Like, hey, you need to pay yourself first by putting money into a savings account or towards your goals or towards your splurge. So at a later date, you can treat yourself like you're planning to be successful for your money, but also inherently everything that you're doing is for you. Does that make sense? Yeah, and I think it's so powerful with having a mindset like that. Obviously, to a degree, it's a lot easier said than done with certain circumstances than others, but everyone to a degree, even if it's a very small degree, has that power of choice, as as you've said. And the little things do add up over time, even if they aren't, you know, big changes like saving the $100 a week that you'd usually buy lunch out with, you know, sometimes it's more than that or less than that, but For business owners, every transaction is more than just a swipe of the card. It's the culmination of your hard work, dedication and commitment to your customers. That's why I'm excited to share with you a game-changing solution that's simplifying the way businesses like yours accept payments. Introducing Tap to Pay on iPhone powered by Stripe. Contactless payments has never been easier. You can seamlessly accept contactless payments directly from your iPhone and the best part, there's no additional hardware required. Think about it. From local pop-ups to global retailers, tap to pay on iPhone and Stripe cater to businesses of all sizes, empowering them to accept payments right from their iPhones. It's a game changer for businesses looking to scale quickly and stay flexible with quick setup that takes minutes, not days. So how can tap to pay on iPhone and Stripe benefit your business? It's simple. Increased revenue, expanded reach and enhanced customer experience. It's a win-win-win. To learn more about how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can transform your business, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone today. Yeah, you put it so eloquently. Thank you. Biggest compliment. (laughs) Something else that he also talks about in terms of getting started and paying yourself first, it's not actually how much money you make, it's how much money you keep. That also goes hand in hand with paying yourself first, which is... Something that opened my eyes because when you're in uni or when you're that young and bear in mind, I didn't really have much understanding when I first read the book at 18 of how personal finance or growing wealth is supposed to look like. It kind of blew my mind a little bit because he's so right. Like My savings being high and me investing in myself is obviously going to add to my wealth. At the time, I'm not proud to admit this, but at the time it was like an epiphany and now it seems like more common sense. But yeah. Why aren't you proud about yourself for it? I guess I am. It just seems like common sense now. I guess, sorry, I completely take back what I said because I didn't know any better at the time and I need to give myself a little bit of grace for not knowing and then doing better once I did know. So take that back. Thanks for calling me out on that. I find myself doing the same kind of thing. And, you know, the author himself, he wasn't born out of the womb being like, assets produce income and liabilities take income like these things everyone learns eventually at some point and before that you're probably going to be thinking something else until you know so 
you know, we gotta gotta be kind to ourselves. That's very true. You can't turn back time, you know. <laughs> but to add to this, I feel like there is a certain level of privilege that comes with these overarching themes. In no way, shape, or form do I want to make people feel guilty about what they're doing and what they're not doing at this stage. But I think it just shows that no matter what kind of background that you have and the free resources that are available to you at this stage and the books that people put out like this one, that you do have, I guess, the choice of educating yourself as well to a certain extent. The third biggest lesson from the book Rich Dad Poor Dad is the idea that you need to learn the difference between an asset and a liability and buy assets. That's um, a quote from the author himself. It sounds like a very simple concept. And if you're an accountant, then, you know, probably going to be able to skip this one. But the idea is, is that people that are wealthy invest in assets that bring them income. And people that think they're wealthy or don't understand why their wealth isn't growing, invest in liabilities that we think are assets. So what's the difference? In very simple terms, an asset is something that puts money in your pocket. So in the book, they give examples of stocks. We talk about stocks all the time, stocks of companies, bonds, which are like stocks, but they're from the government and the government kind of pays you back with your investment to them. You've also got real estate. You've got notes royalties from intellectual property such as music or patents and really anything that has value that increases over time. Birkenbags, absolutely an investment. But what a liability is are things that we think are good investments. Things like your personal home. In the book, Robert was probably one of the first people to, on this big scale, say, your own home actually is not an asset. Mm. Another liability is your car because technically it goes down in value. Things like vacations, clothes, unused subscriptions, eating out, they're all things that we enjoy and should absolutely be done in moderation, but they don't help us grow our wealth. And in simple terms, invest in assets, not in liabilities, and buy more assets. That's really very simply all it takes to build wealth not that it's simple to do because obviously there's a lot of barriers and different levels of barriers for different groups of people but just knowing what the difference was and knowing that all it takes is that it does kind of simplify it down no absolutely it does I think I like the fact that he took the time to explain the differences and then gave examples because that makes it clear in terms of what he means and then you can kind of kind of start to unravel what you know and start thinking about things a little bit more critically as well because off the bat you everyone thinks that their car is an asset and their house is an asset and things like that you know but this really challenges that but I do agree with him. And what I like about understanding this is it does make you start to look at things differently. Just say you need a new car and you go, okay, like, you know, I've got 10 grand or I've saved up five grand. I want to get a new car. You start to think about things like, well, maybe I could get a cheaper car or maybe, you know, do I really need a car? Can I just hold on to the one I have, invest that money in something Mm -hmm. else, like putting it into a term deposit? or into the stock market, or into real estate, something that over time 
that will do more for me and can I just kind of stick with the car I have because actually it's it's not that bad. And little things like that, that you start to view what your assets and liabilities are a little bit more differently and your priorities, if you're in the privilege too, can sometimes change with these sort of things. Another big learn for me and another overarching theme in the book is he talks quite a bit about fear and bad habits and overcoming obstacles. So some quotes that made me think of this is he's never met a rich person that hasn't lost money but has met plenty of poor people that have never lost a dime because they've never invested yet they're still you know poor and also winners are not afraid of losing but losers are failure is a part of the process of success people who avoid failure also avoid success Now, before I dive into my thoughts about this theme, I will say that I'm not maybe a huge fan of the winner-loser thing, because in my head, sometimes it might be perceived that you're attaching like the poor dad to loser and the the rich dad to winner. But here's the thing. I think if we focus on like, I guess the failure part of things, am I reading too much into that? No, I get what you mean. Like, it's just one of those things where you don't want to be associating people's self-worth with their financial position. So another overarching theme and one of my biggest learns that I got from the book is when he talks about fear and bad habits and how having a high amount of fear or constantly having fear at the back of your mind in terms of decision-making is detrimental to wealth-building. So some things that he categorizes as I guess, bad habits is laziness. So telling yourself that you can't afford it or having, I guess, negative sentence starters such as, I can't afford it. I will never be that rich. That will never be me. Like I'll never be that person that has that house because he associates that with laziness. Another thing that he associates with a bad habit is fear, as I just mentioned. So that is the constant fear of losing money. So quote to kind of showcase that is Mr. Kiyosaki, the author of the book, um, has never met a rich person that hasn't lost a lot of money, but he's met plenty of poor people that have never lost a dime because they've never invested, which I think is pretty interesting because it kind of talks against to my point of, you know, it's not how much money you make, it's how much money that you keep you still need to be able to be comfortable with taking those risks when it comes to investing and the possibility of you losing out on some gains when it comes to the stock market. But I guess that fear holds you back from being successful and making decisions that could lead to more wealth in the future, which I think is a good point. He also talks about Like with real estate agents as well, there's some real estate investors that he's met that only ever act on a sure thing and they can't see the gain that they would have missed by not taking those risks because they're adamant with just constantly making the safest decisions, which doesn't always mean that they're going to be successful in real estate, which I think talks to Sim's point about he's one of the first people that have kind of challenged the idea of if you own a house, that's an asset. I think it's so interesting. And it's just one of those things where your fear is 
to a degree, going to limit how far you can go. If you genuinely believe, like, I will just not be able to do this, it's just not for me, I'm not smart enough, I will never have that house I've always wanted, I will never have the lifestyle I've always wanted, you never will. And it's it's very harsh, and I don't Mm. like saying it out loud, even to myself, but it's true. If I think to myself, I'm never going to get fit or go to the gym, I'm never going to get the dream job or the dream place, then I absolutely never will. Those things won't fall into my lap by luck. They have to come from me, one, manifesting it and believing it, and then two, doing what I can within my circumstances to at least try to achieve it. 100%. I feel like saying those things to yourself and having that fear-based mindset, it just... I get what he means in terms of it's a form of laziness because you're dismissing the idea as a whole. So why try it all, right? It's so much easier to not try. It's so much easier to sleep in and not go to the gym. It's so much easier than meal prepping and budgeting out your food for the week than it is to get takeout every night. So I definitely understand where he's coming from. And that was one of the biggest things that I had to reflect on and learn as well because naturally I am an impulsive spender so definitely get where he's coming from I think we also talk a good game in multiple episodes as we talk about the stock market like we need to manage our emotions we need to keep ourselves in check and now that is so much easier said than done but it's true like we can't constantly be losing hair over like X stock and then Y stock is doing this, you know, like who who benefits from that? Because I know I don't. That's so true. So in summary, the four key takeaways are from Rich Dad, Poor Dad, to save you time from having to read the whole book, is one, the poor and middle class work for money, the rich have money work for them. Two, getting started. There is gold everywhere, but not everyone is trained to see it. Three, The rich invest in assets, the poor invest in liabilities that we think are assets. And four, he's never met a rich person that hasn't lost a lot of money, but met plenty of poor people that have never lost a dime because they've never invested. I think those really are the main points that we've taken away and we wanted to share with you today. And hopefully you've been able to pick up something new or something that you haven't really thought about before and you know, are able to go away and incorporate this into your daily lives. I guess my parting thoughts on doing this episode in the book itself, the book was written and published in 1997 and it still has such a cult following. I think it, again, it does a great job of introducing you to finance and personal finance and some good habits that we talk about over and over again. If you don't agree, that's completely fine because I feel like it's almost been made into a meme with those finance bro TikToks. Thanks, guys. But I think it does a good job in challenging what you know. And I think you should always read things from a perspective you may not 100% agree on to keep yourself being able to critically think and comment on stuff, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So before we go, as always, follow us on Instagram. We are absolutely having such a fun time there. We have such a great community. We've also got a Facebook group at Girls That Invest. If you like this episode, please give us a review on iTunes. Please post it on your story and tag us. We love to have this message shared around among all of our friends and family and yours too. 
and yeah it's it's so nice just to grow together and to learn together so of course before we go our disclaimer girls that invest does not provide personalized investing advice for your individual needs we are not financial advisors the advice from girls that invest exists for educational purposes only and should not be relied upon to make an investment or financial decision advice from girls that invest is general in nature and does not consider individual circumstances always do your research and please use your due diligence Alrighty, till next time team bye